Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Kevin Canterbury is speaking today and has a message about adoption called A Living Parable. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with you today. I'm going to be talking to you guys about something today um, that's really important to my heart, and it is Sanctity of Sunday, or Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is something that President Reagan actually enacted back in 1984 to uh, remember and cause us to stop and reflect, of course, on the sanctity of life that we're made in God's image, and all life is sacred, but also the continuing threat against Life at all stages, especially life, uh, the unborn. And so this week I'm going to be talking about adoption. So today, like I said, I'm going to talk to you guys about adoption. And I want to frame adoption as this thing called a living parable. And a living parable, it's something that I got from one of my teachers. And I really like that description because, as I said earlier in the service, we do the Lord's Supper. We are enacting out something that Christ has done for us. A representation, and in doing so, it helps us remember what uh, Christ has done in our own life. It instructs others around us, and it instructs those outside of the church. They take notice because they go, "What is this strange thing you're doing?" And it gives us the opportunity to teach and instruct them. Another thing that's like that is baptism. Baptism is one of these things that we do, and if you're new to the church, and you, you, you maybe some of you came into the church and witnessed one of those things, and you were like, what is this strange thing that they're doing? But it instructs us, it tells us something about an inward change that's happened inside of us, and in doing so, we proclaim Christ until he comes again. And so I believe adoption is another one of these living parables I believe it's one of the most defining issues in the church over the last 50 years uh, because adoption is a direct answer to the issue of abortion and all these other things. Um, I think it's one of these things that God is really going to judge us in our, in our response for because as tragic as it is that so many lives have been lost during the pandemic, the number is Nothing compared to the number of lives that have been lost to abortion. So this is really important. I'm prayerfully optimistic that um, good things are happening. We're making progress. We've heard so long, what are you going to do about this issue? And now we actually have a case at the Supreme Court that we're going to hear about in late spring, early summer, uh, this case involving Mississippi and may actually make some progress forward. So we must continue the work that we're doing. Today, we're talking about adoption. It's a topic that excites me for a lot of reason because I think it's one of the things that the church actually does really well. Uh, there's still plenty of room for growth in this area, but I have personally seen and experienced so much increased involvement since my wife and I got involved with the foster care and adoption community uh, almost seven years ago. And as many of you know, my wife and I, uh, we have... Five kids were actually in the process of adopting one more. It's, uh, her name's Allie. Many of you know her. Uh, but we adopted two of our children when we lived in California. 
And it's been an amazing journey to say the least. We're blessed beyond measure. It has not been without its difficulties, but uh, I can tell you it is a blessing. There's so many families right here at Ville Christian who are actively involved in foster care or who have adopted and been a part of this as well. And I want to say, too, real quick, we're going to focus on the foster care adoption. Uh, there's lots of other ways that we can live this out. I mean, some people adopt kids from other countries and do things like that. That's all the same stuff, but we're going to focus in on this issue because I think that I want to show you some numbers later, and you can see how we can have a tangible difference with this specific issue. Bible has a lot to say about adoption. As a matter of fact, it is not a stretch at all to say that the Bible is an adoption story. It's a story about how God called a people that were not his own and brought them into himself and made them his own. And of course, we are grafted into that through what Christ has done for us. You probably heard the cliche, we're all God's children. But the Bible is really clear that only those that God has called and who have experienced salvation through grace in faith are adopted into God's family. We are the only ones that are God's children. We have to be adopted in. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says this. We read it earlier. It says, For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his goodwill. And then Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The story of God's plan throughout history can be seen through the lens of a loving and gracious Father who adopts orphans and makes them heirs to his kingdom according to his good pleasure. And to all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to we who call ourselves the church, the story of adoption is our story. You must realize the greatest driving force in your own story is adoption. It has given you hope, and you're part of the church family. It's my story. It's your story. And so this morning, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about adoption and what implications that has for us. I hope that you'll get a glimpse of God's heart for the fatherless and the mission he wants us to be on, and you'll see the truth of what Scripture has to say. The imperative, or the command to care for the fatherless is stated over 20 times in both the Old and New Testament. It covers every genre of literature in the Bible. It is absolutely indisputable. There's not many things that are mentioned that many times. We see in Scriptures like Isaiah 117, where it says, learn to do what is right, promote justice, give the oppressed reason to celebrate, and take up the cause of the orphan, defend the rights of the widow. We see in James 1.27 in the New Testament, James outlines religion, what true religion is. Religion is acting out our faith. And it says this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans 
and widows in their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So James actually kind of sums it all up and says, you know how you can tell that you're acting out your faith and applying it if you're caring for orphans and widows? That's what he says. It's pretty powerful. It's undisputably one of the central themes of Scripture. And that's because, again, adoption is this parable. I like parables. Parables are simple stories that invoke the imagination. They communicate profound truths about God's kingdom. They're like first century memes, right? And so some of the most profound parables are only a couple of verses long, and yet they teach us and instruct us in such powerful ways. They're usually, uh, you know, at the surface, they contain a story and a setting and all that. They usually have fictional characters, but they teach us about God's kingdom and what our obligation is in relation to God and his kingdom. Earlier in the service, as I said before, we, we went through the Lord's Supper and talked about how it's a memorial act. It's not an act that saves us, but it's something that we do uh, because Christ commanded us to do it and because we're enacting it out and instructing and teaching through that. Baptism, likewise, is, is like that. It's a public decision that says, I have chosen to follow Christ. I have been buried with him, and I have been raised to life. My sins have been washed away. It represents the entrance into the church family. All of these things instruct us through acting it out. When we choose to engage in adoption or foster care, we are engaging ourselves or we're supporting those who are involved. We proclaim the story of our own adoption, our own sonship into the kingdom of heaven. How we were once orphans of people with no hope, no future, and how by God's grace and God's grace alone, we have been brought into the king's palace and made princes and princesses, heirs to all the things through Christ. It encapsulates God's heart unlike anything else. And so I want to look at a couple different ways that adoption teaches us. And the first one is this. Adoption teaches us about grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's giving when you're not obligated to do so. It's reaching out to someone you've never met and saying, I'll accept you as my own, even though I'm not responsible for your situation. And I will receive without the expectation of repayment, even if it's not reciprocated, all the messiness and the brokenness that comes with it. It should be wedding vows, right? This is the very least of what God has done for us. So Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't require us to fix our messes. He doesn't ask us to do any of that. While we were in the midst of all that, while we were messing up our own lives, or while something else was wreaking havoc in our life, Christ died to bring us into his family. Adoption teaches us about redemption. Where we see a hopeless situation, God sees potential. Redemption is giving, to, or giving someone a, a second chance. It's the story of men like Moses, who would have otherwise perhaps been forgotten were it not for Pharaoh's daughter, right? Who took him in. It's the story of a woman like Esther who boldly saved the fate of her people. 
And she was encouraged and supported by her uncle Mordecai, who loved her like a daughter. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We are redeemed. Isaiah 62, verse 2. Nations will see your vindication and all kings your splendor, and you will be called by a new name that the Lord himself will give you. Redemption is being given a new name. It's being given a new, a second chance a new reputation. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, you refine this phrase or this word adoption again in Scripture. It says, But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit or the sent the spirit of the son into your hearts who calls abba father and so you're no longer a slave but a son and if you're a son then you are also an heir through god you see adoption is a legal action legal actions cannot be undone they're binding when we had our adoption finalization for uh, reuben and naomi who are uh, biological siblings uh, it's been five years ago, uh, January, and I remember the judge um, looking at me and Chelsea and asking us if we were prepared to take on the legal responsibility of these children and if we would treat them as if they were our own biological children, if we would grant to them the same rights and privileges that we would grant to our own biological children. Well, of course we said yes. It was a picture of what God legally did through Christ to satisfy his justice and to stand in our place. And now we are adopted into his family. Adoption teaches us about sanctification. Sanctification is a bit of a churchy word, but it has a lot of meaning. Sanctification is the act of being made pure or holy. Adoption requires us to surrender our agendas, our schedules, our plans, to put things to the side for the needs of others. And frankly, bringing other people into your life in such a close and intimate way reveals weaknesses in our own character. You guys know that because many of you are married, right? Marriage is an act of sanctification for that same reason. It points out the things that are in your own life that you have to put aside. Perhaps you've heard the saying that the heart is like a sponge. You find out what's truly inside of it when it gets squeezed. That, that is the process of sanctification. It's removing the impurities and filling it up with the right things of God. Well, I have learned a lot about myself and the state of my heart as we've gone through this process ourselves. Uh, through all the mistakes, I... I know that I'm being made sanctified. I continue to learn. And I got to tell you, um, it was one of the things that really bothered me at first because I make a lot of mistakes, right? And I think it's good for our kids to see that model and to model forgiveness and what it means to ask for that. And I'm pretty sure when my kids get out of the house, they're all going to have a PhD in that because they've watched their dad do it so much. Sanctification is hard and it's, 
Uh, the refining fire is hot, but it's the final process in our journey towards being made like Christ and to our glorification in the age to come. And honestly, I think it's where a lot of people get stuck because it's painful and it hurts. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 says this. This gives us such assurance. It says, For indeed, he who makes holy and those being made holy all have the same origin. And so he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Our own journey of sanctification, of being made holy, assures us that we are one of God's children. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. That's what it says. Adoption teaches us about sacrifice. Marriage and children require a high degree of sacrifice. Whether you're in the church, whether you're not in the church, you know this. Anytime you choose to let something into your life, you have to let something else go. You say yes to one thing, you have to say no to another. And often that means that our wants, our desires, as good as they may be, we have to let those things go because we know we have something more important to do. We have a truly eternal impact that we're making by doing that. Marriages struggle and fall apart when one or both partners uh, stop loving sacrificially. That can be the root of all that stuff. And so you have to have the margin in your life to do that. Even if your non-believing friends and family um, they know this to be true in their own lives, right? And so our marriages work because we choose to lay down ourselves daily for the other person and say, I'm going to put your needs ahead of mine. And even more than that, we're going to put God's needs ahead of both of ours because we are on this mission to do ministry together in our marriages. I lead the 11th grade boys group on Tuesday night at, at high school group and uh, oftentimes the subject of the future comes up and what are you going to do in the next five to ten years and what kind of person do you want to be? And most of the boys answer something along the lines of, well, I do want to get married, I want to have a family, I want to do all these things. Because it's built into us to want to do those things. And what I respond to them with is, okay, what are you doing right now to prepare for the future person that you want to be? Because I have found so oftentimes when I meet with young men and they feel like their lives have gone off track somehow and they want to be here, it starts here. Well, what are you doing to prepare to be that person? Because it's not just magically going to happen, right? You're not just magically going to be able to care for yourself and care for a family. If you can't care for yourself now, you can forget about that stuff later. And no self-respecting girl who honors Christ is going to want anything to do with you, right? And then I say, get off the video games. No. It's great. If that's your thing, that's awesome. But come on, man. Like, grow up, be a man. But you have to. You have to lay down your own desires and your wants and go, I, something better here. If I, if I can't take care of myself, there's no way I can be entrusted to take care of others. Again, this process of uh, sacrifice. So there's something unique about the sacrifice of Adoption. It's something that I didn't even see coming when my wife and I started it. And so I want to tell you a little bit about our story. We, uh, my wife actually told me on our first date that she, <laughs> she said back there that she wanted to adopt, right? I'm 19 years old. I'm like, what? whatever. It's fine. Whatever. 
Got lots of things I want to do before that. But anyways, um, she told me, and if you're like me, I was, I was thinking that. Uh, it took us a few years to get everything in order. Um, we had three biological kids by the time that we decided to adopt. And so we started the process of becoming licensed foster and adoptive parents. In the state of California at the time, uh, you had to get both licenses because there's so many kids um, in the system in California that they really can't afford to have people just say, I want to adopt, I don't want to do foster care. You have to go through that process to get to the adoptive point. And so... As we were preparing to do this, the certification took a few months to complete, and we had to give up a, a bunch of weekends. We had to go down to the agency and take these classes. We got to get our house ready. If you've ever done this, you know that's a whole process. They have just some, it seems like some of the most ridiculous rules in the world, and there's times where you're like, forget it, we're not doing this. That's stupid. But pushed through and persevered. Um, and once it was all said and done and we finally got placed with those two kiddos after so much waiting and praying, uh, everybody had been really supportive up to that point. Everybody was like, that's great. You know, you, you tell people you're going to do that. They're like, we need more people to do that. That's awesome. Yay. Um, but as soon as they got placed in our house, um, we, we went through something really interesting and we found that friends that we'd had for years that... Uh, people that we used to do lots of things together, they kind of distanced themselves from us because our family had changed so dramatically and they just didn't know how to deal with it. They, they didn't understand how we could alter it in such a dramatic way. By California standards, where we lived at the time, I think we had maxed out our kid count. I don't know what it is about Californians. They don't want to have a lot of kids. It's probably a good thing though, right? So, but they don't, they don't. And so we, we had this large family... Um, I do think there is a culture uh, that, that sort of permeates that area where it, it really is about us and taking care of ourselves and how, how are you going to do all these things for your, the kids that you have? How are you going to make sure they go to Disneyland and do all these other, have all these life experiences? Um, we did find that. Certainly there were those who weren't like that, but there were a lot who were. Being a little facetious about it, but I truly didn't expect that reaction. It was a lonely time for us. It was a time of change. It was also a time when we made new friends with other families who were going through this same journey as we were, and we were all becoming one of those people, right? And just to be sure, there were a couple families who stepped up in a big way and supported us. Uh, I remember one of our good friends, uh, family we're, we're real close to, they decided they were going to get licensed because in California to do what's called respite, um, again, at the time, um, you had to actually be licensed a certain level. So Arizona's a lot easier than that. They, they're like, whatever, just leave them with whoever. But <laughs> California, right? They do things different. Um, it's good. But they actually went through this whole process, and they gave up a lot of their weekends to get certified, and they, and they did that whole process uh, to support us. It's an act that we will not soon forget. And church, what I am learning more and more is that the things that are truly worth doing are the things that will drive you further and further away from what everybody else thinks is normal and safe. You may be labeled and categorized as one of those people. You might find friends who were once close that aren't calling you as much, but in doing so, I believe that you are truly worshiping the Christ 
who also was rejected by men in such a greater way. Even the ones who were supposed to be his guys, right? When he really needed them, what did they do? They stepped away. The Christ who sacrificed himself so that you could be called one of his own. Man, I sure am glad that Jesus didn't choose to be safe and normal, aren't you? Normal people don't change the world. So I'm really glad that here at Ville Christian we have uh, found such a community of people who are involved in this. And I'll never forget our first Sunday here when we're being introduced and after service, uh, Tim and Grace B came and found us right away. If you know the Bs, they've got six kids, wonderful family. And they were like, hey, we got to talk to you. You guys have five kids and you've done a do- you got to be in our small group. If you know anything about their small group, it's not small. It's large. <laughs> Because it's all of these families who have, who have kind of been through this process, and we're one of the smaller families in that small group. Uh, but anyways, I'll never forget that and going, wow, what, what an amazing thing to be at a church where people seek you out and say, hey, we, we want, you're one of us. We want you to be part of our group because that's what we're about. Uh, we've had such great fellowship with other families here who have been through or on this same journey right now. And we know we'll have many more of those relationships. I'm excited that so many of our uh, staff people are, are fostering or adopting. You know, um, Brandon and Elizabeth Sachs just adopted. And uh, both the Millers families do foster care and do all these things. And it's really awesome to be in a place where that is so supportive. Uh, Pastor Ben's been very supportive of that. And we've even had weeks where we had to move staff meeting because two of us had a court date on that morning. I mean, I was thinking, what other place would you be like, well, two of our workers are at court today, so we're going to have to. And it's a good thing, right? Uh, It's what we're supposed to be doing. So what does this have to do with me? I want to spend a few minutes during this part. I want to look at some numbers. And again, my my hope here is not uh, to discourage you. It can be a kind of a challenge with these messages not to be like, why aren't all of you doing... I get it. Uh, Some people out there, you can be involved in different ways. And some of you, quite frankly, I don't mean this to be mean, you shouldn't do it. You don't... You shouldn't. I've met people, it's like, you probably shouldn't bring that into your life because it will stretch and pull you, right? Uh, But I want to look at the numbers real quick and I want you to see through the numbers that there's a real opportunity for the church to make an impact here, especially our local church. When we talk about orphan care, and we look at uh, the numbers of the orphans in the world, which are in the hundreds of millions, as much as it breaks our heart, it's a number that you really can't tangibly feel like you can do anything about. It's overwhelming. But when we focus in here in the state of Arizona, and we look at how many kids are in foster care, how many kids are waiting for an adoptive home, and how many uh, families in our church are doing this, you can see we can actually make it down on these numbers. So I want to take a minute. We're going to look at some numbers, and uh, I want to see how this impacts you. So the first one is uh, how many kids are in foster care right now? This is the United States. Right now, there's roughly 440,000 kids who are um, in the foster care system. So looking at the population, that's four in 100 kids uh, in the United States are currently in the system. That's right now. Uh, if you just look at how many kids in their lives will be in the foster system, that number is going to jump up uh, quite a bit more. In Arizona, there are currently 14,000 children that are in foster care. 
Uh, by the way, Tucson has a, a higher number per capita than the other cities for the most part as far as large areas um, because Pima County just has a very high incidence of things here. And so that's 14,000 children. There's 4,500 licensed foster. I think, I, I think it's actually foster um, homes. I put parents, it's homes. So usually that means both of them are licensed. It may or may not mean that. So um, in 2016, there were 19,000 kids in the Arizona foster care system. Now you may look at that and go, great, things are getting better. The number went down, but they believe that the number is down so much because we shut down for the pandemic and all the mandatory reporters that would normally be uh, reporting things weren't doing that. So it's not necessarily a positive thing, and it probably means that the numbers are going to jump way up in the next year or two. Finally, out of those uh, in the U.S., out of the 440,000 that are in the system, there's 122,000 of those kids whose uh, parents' rights have been severed, and they're waiting for a forever home. So whatever has gone on in their lives has been bad enough that they've decided they should not go back home. So I want to look at this next stat, and this is, this to me is, is something that kind of pushed me over in my thinking, and I just looked at, I wanted to know how many homes in the U.S., I saw this statistic somewhere, uh, I wasn't even thinking about foster and adoption, but how many, how many houses, how many homes have spare bedrooms in them, just bedrooms we're not using? Well, it turns out that there's a lot of information out there about it, and so I pulled this, actually I checked on Fannie Mae, there's a bunch of other sites. They cite this statistic as like, look at all this extra income potential opportunity you're missing out on. You should rent out your spare room. I see it, and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Um, and the, the statistic is 44 million homes in the U.S. have at least one spare bedroom in them. 44 million. Um, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have spare bedrooms, but... I think that the statistic is telling because it, it shows how much margin and capacity we have as a people to take care of a problem like this, and there's no way that I don't have room in my home is an excuse. That is at least one spare bedroom, or 100 spare bedrooms in the U.S. for every child that's currently in foster care right now. And by the way, if they're in foster care, um, that does not mean that they're in a home because a lot of times they can't place them and they get put in a group home. And if you've ever seen a group home, it's not a good place to be at. So that, that breaks my heart. I think it should break yours too. I think it should at least cause you to, to think, man, we've been given so much, so much, and there's still a need out there. If you take that 122,000 number, it means that at least 37 empty bedrooms in the U.S. for every child waiting for a forever home. And then this next one is another one that troubles me. And this is close to home. It's here in Arizona, and it's from January to June of 2021. Uh, 700 homes in Arizona closed their foster care licenses. 700. And I get it. We talked about doing it. It's a pandemic. Things are really hard, right? Life has changed. But the fact is, for these kids, their situation remains the same. They're still waiting. They're still hoping that someone's going to provide them a place and care for them. 
I wanted to put together some stats about our church. Um, there's just so much. It's too hard to get the numbers right. But just last night, I was sitting down with my wife, and we were talking about all the families who we know. And my uh, best guess, just the ones that I know about since we've been here, um, who have adopted or have been involved in foster care either since we've been here or now, uh, I came up with 32 families that I could think of. I know it's more than that. 32 families. That's awesome. We have probably between 250 and 300 family units represented at our church. That's more than 10% of our church that's involved in this. That's a really good positive thing. But do you think there's room to do more? And can you see how it doesn't take a lot if everybody just does a little bit more? That number that we looked at is a number that we can solve as a church. What a testimony to the world around us to be able to do something like that. Uh, we've got a number of kids at our church who have been adopted out of the foster care system. Quite a few. You might even not be aware of it. And even after last service, I have people coming up to me and sharing stories about their children. I'm like, oh, I gotta update that. There's so many. It's a great thing. Who is called to the ministry of adoption? All who are called the children of God. We've all been adopted into God's family. And now he's asking us to do something and to share that same thing with others. And again, I, I, don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm looking at everybody saying, you better go out and do this. We were joking to staff me. We got that class, have a new kid by Friday. And I'm like, you can have a new kid by Friday if you sign up, like literally. <laughs> uh, but again, some of you are not in a place where you're going to be able to do that. Maybe you're carrying some emotional baggage or something else or your marriage, whatever's going on there. That is taking all of those resources from you. But maybe you are in a place where you could do that and you could say, you know, we probably could. It's not easy. Nobody's ever ready for it. Nobody is prepared for it. It irritates me when people say, well, I don't have the patience for that. I'm like, you, have you seen me? You think I have patience? You ask my wife, I don't have patience. I still don't have the patience for it. That's why uh, my kids are learning a lot about forgiveness. But it doesn't change. <laughs> it doesn't change the responsibility that God has given to all of us to do something about it. I believe that we all will give an answer for our response to this issue, uh, especially since it's an issue that the church can solve. There's another one of those parables in Luke 12 about a faithful steward. It's one of those things that <clears throat> really gives me cause to think and wonder and kind of frightens me a little bit. The parable ends with this verse. It says, uh, Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be asked. To us who are called children of God, much has been given. We've been adopted. We're stewards of God's kingdom on earth, the church. God has called us all to do something. And God will hold all of us accountable for the work that we have done as stewards. And on that day, I hope that God finds us all holding nothing back. This is a big deal. I hope it at least puts a pebble in your shoe when you think about this issue. Before I pray, I want to remind you that next week, we've got two things going on. Myra Rodriguez is coming again, our guest speaker. We're continuing this focus on the sanctity of life. 
And we also have a ministry fair next week. So this is an opportunity for you to get involved in some things at the church, maybe stuff you've never even heard of. Um, it'll be out here in the courtyard. There's going to be tables set up. And one of the uh, tables will be for Arizona Baptist Children's Services, which is who we're licensed through and a few others in our church are licensed through them. They do a lot of work um, with the Four Life team and things like that. Uh, if you want to take the next steps and find out how you can help put a dent in the numbers that we just saw, uh, the opportunity is going to be here next week. Again, doesn't mean they're going to send you home with a kid. I just want you to know that. Uh, there are other ways that you can get involved and help and support other people if you can't do it yourself. But I think everybody should do something about this. If you want to know more, you can talk to me. You can talk to my wife back there. Um, there are lots of people here who have been through this. Just look for one of those families that takes up a whole row. You'd be like, you guys. No, um, but the Mark and Amanda Miller... Um, Matt and Sarah Miller have all done foster care, are doing it right now. Again, the Saxes, we're all doing this. We feel strongly about it. We want to help you take the next steps with that. So again, pray about what that might look like for you. And let's, let's do something about this. Let's be a testimony to the world around us that we truly do care and we can solve this. Let's pray. Father, you love us and care for us so much. It cost you your one and only son, Jesus, that we may be adopted into your family, to be made joint heirs with Christ. We don't deserve it, but God, you did it even while we were running from you. You loved us that much. And so I pray this morning, Lord, not that this would be a message of guilt. It shouldn't be. It should be a message of hope that something is happening, that there's a, a movement underway. God, you care about these kids. They're, they're kids that we don't even realize it, but we interact with them every day. Our biological children are with them at school. We pass them in the store. We pass them even at this church, and we may not realize that this is a child who needs a loving home. What an amazing way to make disciples, Lord, to bring somebody in to our family, whether it be for a season or whether it be for the rest of their lives, to teach them about you, to redeem them, to give them a story of redemption. And so, Father, now I pray that you would just stir in the hearts of those who might be wondering what the next, step are, next steps are. And uh, in all things, Lord, our church needs to do whatever it can. We can solve this issue. We praise you. We love you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.